Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to The Storytellers. I'm Grace Salmon, a Canadian by birth, a high school dropout, and a mother at the age of 17, Lily Iona McKenzie supported herself as a cocktail waitress and as a stock girl. She also briefly did time on the long, as a longshoreman where she almost had her legs broken. She founded and managed a homeless shelter, co-created The Story Shop, which was a weekly television show for children, and also earned two master's degrees. In addition to her books of poetry, she's written four novels, which we'll have the opportunity to talk about today. And she currently teaches creative writing at the University of San Francisco's Fromm Institute for Lifelong Learning. Lily, thank you to the, and welcome for the microphone today. Thank you, Grace, for such a great introduction. Well, I have to be honest with you. I don't know where to begin. I think we could spend the entire episode just on your life story, um, which I'm, I think is also, however, reflected in your wonderful books. Your books each have a theme for me that is near and dear to my heart, which is of resilience, of yes. we are never done. So start with your story and then talk about your books and how those themes get interwoven. Well, with my story, I mean, I started out on these Canadian prairies and uh, this was, you know, I'm 81 now. So this was back in 1940 when I was when I was born. And uh, uh, there was something I, I was fortunate to have spent several years on a farm. And those years really taught me so much, you know, that I'm still honoring in my life uh, in terms of uh, you have you you have to be present every moment you have to be responsible to every creature uh, you know on the farm with you as well as to the land and so I learned how to work you know when, when I was really young I had to help my uh, stepfather gather the eggs and not only had to gather them but clean them and that was a mess and it's so, a very messy job. They don't very, come the way they come in the crate. No, they don't. And and since we used to take them to the farmers market in the city, you know, it was really important that they were clean. And and, uh, and so you know, I also you know fed the animals and cleaned out their stalls. And so there was, and in addition to you know helping my mom in the kitchen, cooking and canning and cleaning and so on. So from the time I was really young, I I had to work. And, uh, and that has stayed with me. And I think as a writer, you really have to have that kind of grit uh, because writing novels, uh, at least the way I write them, uh, it takes a long time. And it's like entering a relationship with a person. You have to commit to that relationship for who knows how long it will take uh, in order to deepen it. So, uh, so I learned a lot of those uh, abilities, I think, really young, and I'm grateful for that period of time. Uh, so, and, and I think that shows in your writing, because your characters are wonderful, and I want to talk about those in a moment, but so much your sense of place. I like to draw, when I write, 
a strong sense of place. And you have Canada and California and Mexico all in your books as very vibrant, almost characters. Would you agree with that? And Venice. Yes, and Venice. Italy, yes. I can't believe I forgot that, one of my favorite cities. Yes, no, I think that uh, place is a, a character in all of my novels. Uh, it plays a tremendously important you know, part of what happens with the characters uh, in particular. I mean, it, the interaction between character and place is constant. Uh, and I can't think of uh, a novel where that isn't true. So yes, place is extremely important. Uh, With your books, I have such a strong sense of women's fiction. Your characters are very, very powerful women. And I have to, I always love to be transparent on the show because you pitched me to come on and you opened up your email to me and it said, hi, I'm a high school dropout. I was a mother at 17 and I'd really like to be on your show. And you exposed my prejudices in ways that I am delighted that they get exposed. Oh, say more. <laughs> well, no, I just loved it because, um, first of all, I was delighted that I got pitched for the storytellers. But you pointed out to me the essence of what I like to convey in my writing. I had no idea, by the way, you're 81. You look fabulous. And just this sense of this is where we come from. And that's so much of what we find in women's literature. So talk to me about that. Well, you know, when I was growing up in the 40s and 50s, I was, it was a really um, uh, transitional, major transitional time for everybody on the earth, but especially for women. And, you know, we grew up with red and green lights flashing at us at that time. You know, there was there were some openings, but there were still lots of um, uh, impediments in front of us. And so uh, it, it, so naturally in my novels, I've created women who are dealing with social situations that, you know, draw out the best in them. We hope, I hope it draws out the best. Uh, but we're also dealing with with um, you know, each character is particular and different uh, in each of my novels, and we're and so I'm I was exploring you know with each character uh, what kinds of dynamics that uh, she was going to be dealing with uh, as we go through the narrative. So you know it starts my first novel that was published is Fling, and. Uh, uh, that's the one that I laugh the most <laughs> when I read it. <laughs> With Bubbles, who's 90 years old, right? <laughs> Bubbles. And, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, it starts because, uh, so the two main characters are Bubbles, who's 90, and uh, her daughter, Feather, who was, you know, a hippie. Uh, she's an, uh, she teaches art, and uh, she lives in Marin County in California. Uh, so it starts then with the daughter returning to Calgary to help her mother, Bubbles, celebrate her 90th birthday. But when she arrives, her mother announces that we have to go to Mexico. We have to go to Mexico. I got a letter from the Mexico City Dead Letter Office. They've got mother's ashes there. So the story behind that is that her mother, Bubbles' mother, had gone to Mexico City with her lover uh, back in the 1920s. 
And this is a mother who had traveled from Portree Isle of Skye to Canada to join her husband uh, uh, from whom she'd been separated for many years. And she had her kids with her and so on. But she left that whole thing. She left her family, this mother of, of bubbles, uh, to go off with her lover. And, uh, and she never returned <clears throat> to Canada. Uh, so anyway, so Bubbles, you know, she insists that we've got to go get mother's ashes. We can't leave her ashes there. So this begins then this journey, this uh, uh, from Canada, from Calgary uh, to uh, Mexico City. And, and on the way, they have some really, really interesting adventures. They and really go ahead. Go ahead. No, but and also sex is a big part of my novels. Uh, I yes. don't I don't try to hide it because it's such a natural part of who we are as humans. It's such a driving force for everybody, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so, uh, you know, Bubbles at 90, she still is interested and she tries telephone sex. She thinks that <laughs> would, she thinks that would might work out fine for her. Uh, you were going to ask a question. But I, I, I think that I love the way that you played with bubbles and the age differences. And you also have done that with Tilly in two different books. She's at two different ages in the books. So what was your motivation to do that with that character? Well, uh, the reason I wrote the last novel, The Ripening, A Canadian Girl Grows Up, which features Tilly at a young age from between three until 18. The reason I wrote that novel is because Tilly is the main character in Freefall, a divine comedy, which had been released prior uh, to the ripening. And my publisher, Pinnell Publishing, had offered me a three book contract. And so I had a third book that I needed to complete. And, and I thought, well, you know, why not see who Tilly was as a girl? And that's what led me to, um, to write the ripening. That's great fun to play with that, with our characters, isn't it? To imagine what they were like at a time where you hadn't yet really imagined them, maybe, yeah. Yeah. by going back and doing that prequel. Yes, yes. It, it, was, it was difficult because uh, the older Tilly in Free Fall and Divine Comedy, she's wacky. Uh, she's an installation artist. She's still trying to make it as an artist. She's lived off grants and part-time jobs doing waitressing and uh, uh, et cetera, uh, office work. But she's never really made it as an artist. And so she decides uh, after a reunion with uh, three old friends in Whistler, BC, uh, uh, she talks them into extending their reunion uh, to one of the women's flats in Venice. And, uh, and they do that. They decide to spend three weeks in Venice together and they'll be celebrating their 60th birthdays there. And, uh, and she's, uh, <laughs> all during this time, unknown to them, she's planning uh, to crash the Venice Biennale. And she does. <laughs> Your stories are both... Um powerful and engaging in terms of age, but also in terms of an adventure. You have to tell our listeners and our watchers about Curva Pelagrosa, oh, who shows up, yeah. oh my goodness, two parrots on her shoulder, gold teeth, trigger happy. Where did she come from in your brain? Oh, oh tell me. I'm, you know, she's still a mystery to me in so many ways. 
what started out, uh, I, what started me out even thinking about writing this novel was an image. And often that happens for me. But in this case, uh, I had read about a tornado. It, it, it's unfortunate to make it funny, given what's happening right now in Kentucky and other places with yes. tornadoes. But I had read about a tornado hitting this small town in Alberta. And it just really gripped my imagination to think about how these lives were turned upside down and inside out. Uh, and, and in the midst of thinking about that uh, came then this image of the tornado. I mean, it actually starts with a tornado, with the tornado. And out of that, uh, in, that op in those opening pages, this outhouse, this purple outhouse lands in the center of Weed, Alberta, a fictitious town. And inside it is Curva Pelagrosa. And uh, so when I first created that character, I wanted, I wanted a woman really unlike me, uh, but I wanted her to be powerful. I mean, she's over six foot tall. She can shoot uh, better than any man. Uh, she ends up having to ride in rodeos on her way from southern Mexico, you know, through the United States as she's making her pilgrimage to Canada, where she wants to uh, compete in the Calgary Stampede Rodeo, which is a big deal for some people. Very big deal. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, and and so on the way, she's you know competing as a man until her very last time doing this and she exposes herself as a woman too but uh and so i wanted and she also uh, is very open about sex and very comfortable with it and and she likes these uh uh you know i guess you'd call it a one night stand but for her it was uh you know like a, a little a little marriage um and so she'd stop on her way and have uh, you know, her times with, with men too. Uh, and she wasn't eager to get married. And so, you know, she was really the antithesis of me. I'm, you know, I, I have ridden horses when I was really young, of course. Uh, but I, and she, she also uh, smokes grass. I uh, love that you placed it in weed, the weed. name of the town. I just thought that was brilliant. Weed Alberta, uh, and she so she makes you know weed. She makes these brownies and feeds her uh, her neighbors uh, who don't quite know what it is that they're eating, but they know they feel really good afterwards. <laughs> and uh, so you know, so she she is uh, sort of this force that comes out of the south. Uh, you could maybe, if you're thinking about it psychologically, she comes out of the unconscious, the deep unconscious, and surfaces in this very northern uh you know uh, directed town where the people are quite conservative quite conventional and she just shakes it up shakes it up on all levels and uh, and some of it is is good and some of it isn't so good but um and there are other factors too that come in there i mean i grew up uh being really conscious of the native canadians who lived on nearby reservations. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a major male character is Billy One-Eye, who's uh, a native and he's the chief of this Blackfoot tribe. And he's also an artist. And, uh, and the two of them end up getting together 
and uh, and have quite an interesting relationship. Uh, and he became, I became really, really attached to him. He was, he grounds Curva in major ways. And, and I think my stepfather probably grounded me in major ways too. I think maybe there might be some of my stepfather's traits coming out in Billy One-Eye. Uh, well, I, I read somewhere that you said that you write to figure out what you're thinking, I think, or yeah. what your sense of life is. And that's, I think that's so true for so many of us. Yeah. So tell me why storytelling, you have this vast array of experiences. Why storytelling for you and why teach storytelling to others? Well, what I'm teaching others is, it's, well, it is, it's telling their own stories. I teach memoir mainly. And uh, uh, and it's such a uh, it's such a privilege whenever I uh, have the opportunity to read these narratives that my students write, and these are all older adults too. And it's extraordinary what they bring to the page. And but the most important part of these classes isn't you know getting feedback from me about their writing. It, that's important but it's being able to share their stories with each other. And they're just hungry, hungry, not only to you know, present their own stories in these small groups, but also to hear the other people's stories. And I mean, we're, we're made of stories. I think we walk out of narratives you know, from the beginning of our lives. We start our own narrative and you, know, you sort of, when you gave a little of my background, uh, you know, I was a high school dropout and lived on my own since I was 15 and so on. Uh, so that was, that was the beginning of my story. And I live, I'm still living out this story and still discovering. I, I mean, I don't really want the ending, <laughs> but I know that there will be an ending and I'm approaching that. And so I'm learning how, I'm going to uh, be in my uh, later years too. So that story is still evolving for me. So we are stories. We are stories. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I have a tagline to my book and it's when our stories are told, everything changes. And it's that concept of just learning to listen to each other and honoring each other's stories, which yeah. I think is so important. But there were many paths you could have chosen. Why did you choose the path of writing novels and poetry? Well, I'm not so sure there were many paths I could have chosen because when I was 25, uh, I, I, was, uh, I had, was working as a customer service representative for Olston Services, uh, temporary health service in San Francisco. And I was sharing a ride back and forth with a fellow worker. And I was, you know, telling her about my life up until then. And, and she was saying, you know, you should really write about this. And I couldn't, I still get shivers when I remember this. It's such a vivid memory of me saying, I want to be a writer someday. And I sort of looked around and thought, where did this come from? Here I was, high school dropout. You know, I wasn't writing except for uh, diary, you know, entries. Uh, and but there was something in me that had to get out. Uh, that is a writer. And 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 if I don't write regularly, it's like not eating. It's it's for me. It's food and nourishment. I have to do it. 
So I and don't, you journal quite a bit. Journaling was a, a vehicle for you to move into this work. Very much, yes, all throughout my life. I mean, right at the moment, I have stacks of journals that I've started going through from my earliest you know, years in, in my 20s up until now. And so I have a lot of reading to do ahead of me uh, just to go back and review this life you know, that I've been living. Uh, and I lived it so richly in these journals, so extensively. I'm amazed. So yeah. Um, well, and that that really carries over into your writing as well. So we're almost done our time together. Tell our listeners something quirky about yourself that they might not find in all of their research of finding more about Lily Iona McKenzie. Quirky. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of quirky things. I don't know how quirky to get. <laughs> <laughs> Moderately quirky. Yeah. Well, I think uh, uh, readers may not uh, realize that I'm a, a, a sports fan. And I, and I played tennis when I was younger until I ruined my knees. And I absolutely, absolutely adore watching tennis. And these tremendous tennis players and their skills are just outstanding. So I don't know if that's quirky, but maybe you, you know, a reader or someone might not expect uh, that of me uh, because I also am really spiritual and uh, inward. So um, yeah, I love and I love baseball. I love the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> so, well, those are two things that we didn't know about you, and you've had an amazing journey, and I'm so glad you shared it with us today. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they find your fabulous books and poetry? Well, I love visitors to my blog, and each Monday, this is Monday, I still haven't done my Monday blog post, but each Monday I post something about reading or writing, and uh, all you have to do is search for Lily Iona McKenzie, just L-I-L-Y-I-O-N-A-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E.com. And you'll, uh, you'll arrive at my blog. And, uh, and all of my books are available on Amazon, too, and Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful. I'm so glad you came and shared your time on the microphone with me here at The Storytellers. This is a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and Grace Salmon. Lily, thanks so much for being with me. Well, and thank you for Jessica having- Barnett. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode because... When our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.